0: Let's get into today's message, and I've titled today's message, yes, we're taking a break from Hebrews, we're not going to be in Hebrews till the new year. Today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2, and I will read Matthew chapter 2 and the first 12 verses, Matthew chapter 2 beginning in verse 1. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared, And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for this season that you, the infinite creator of the universe, chose in your great mercy and love to take on humanity And not in the form of an adult king, but in the form of a helpless little baby. And as we reflect on this this morning, I pray that by your Spirit, you would work in our hearts to show us that it is indeed true. Thank you for your word that is true. Thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. The events surrounding the life of Jesus show the world in a very sad light. At the birth of the Son of God, there was no room for them at the inn. I found it I found it quite interesting. Again, I'll probably go back to this over and over again because it it just fits so nicely into the message when we had our play here. Um, there was a portrayal of the innkeeper and his boss. <laughs> <coughs> that was quite different than the portrayal of the innkeeper yesterday at the nativity scene. And of course, the Bible says very little about it. And so if you're going to do a nativity play, you you kind of insert what sort of makes sense for the story. And um, yesterday in the nativity scene, the innkeeper was quite sorry he was seeing this, this man and his um, soon-to-be wife, and she's um, about to give birth, and he's, he feels quite bad that he hasn't got any place, and so he, he just says, well, at least you'll have a roof over your heads if you stay in the stable. And, and so regardless of that fact, there was no room for the Son of God at the inn showing the world in a very sad light. Also, Herod planned to murder the baby Jesus. Most of the world knew little and cared even less when a virgin gave birth to the Son of God. Fast forward to the crucifixion. The crucifixion showed that God loved the world, but it also powerfully showed that men hated God. But there were a few exceptions, weren't there? There was Simeon, whom we read about in Luke chapter 2. Let's turn there. Luke chapter 2, verses 25 to 32. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation." which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. And there was Anna, whom we read about just down a couple verses, down to verse 36, and we'll read three verses there. Now there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity, and this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Today we're going to focus our attention on several others that also celebrated the birth of Christ. We're going to look at a few shepherds, and we're going to look at some wise men from the East. The shepherds. The announcement of the birth of Messiah came to them. Just so you know... um, Looking at some maps this week, just to get into my head again, the different journeys that people had been taking at around this time. Nazareth, where Joseph and Mary lived, was about 50 miles north of Bethlehem, or 50 miles north of Jerusalem, because Bethlehem and Jerusalem are quite close. That is in a straight line, so it would have been a little longer, apparently about 65 miles by the time you wind through um, the pathway that they took there. Bethlehem was about five miles south of Jerusalem it's quite interesting. Uh, I went on to Google Maps and I looked at Bethlehem and the traditional spot for the birth of Christ and about two blocks north is a KFC and and you and you can just walk up into Jerusalem just to the to the eastern part of Jerusalem it's it's a short it's a short walk it's five miles well I wouldn't make it but some of you would make it and but it's, nowadays, Bethlehem is just a little suburb of the city of Jerusalem. It's, it's so connected. It's like, you know, when you go down to Vancouver and you, you call it Surrey, but you know that there's no break between Surrey and Vancouver. It's just, it's just all people the whole way now. Um, and that's kind of the way Bethlehem is with, uh, Jerusalem now. It's, it's right there. Joseph and Mary traveling from Nazareth to Bethlehem had to travel through Jerusalem, right through the center of Jewish religious life and political life to get to the little town of Bethlehem for the census. I can't help, and this was brought home to me again, thank you David and Emily, um, they didn't have a donkey, so they came up with a story that their donkey had thrown a leg or something, I don't remember. I can't help but feel sorry for Mary. Mary. Can you picture Joseph saying, and once he says this, I can't help but feel sorry for Joseph now that I come to think of it. Can you picture Joseph saying, okay, Mary, I know it's the hottest time of the year. We think it was probably early September when this took place. It's like the average high in that part of the world is about 31 degrees Celsius that time of the year. It's hot. And I know it's the hottest time of the year, my dear Mary, And I know you're nearly nine months pregnant. Some of you moms are going, oh, and then you have this little heater, and it's just so hot, and it's uncomfortable. But hop on this donkey for the next two or three days. We're heading south. I can't help but feel a bit sorry for Mary. And I can't help but feel a bit sorry for Joseph once he tells Mary that this is going to take place. Yeah, some of you you know exactly what I'm talking about tremendous discomfort that the poor lady was going through. But they had to travel through Jerusalem, down into this little town of Bethlehem, where it was so full that there was no room for them anywhere. But I can't help but think that there were shepherds there in Bethlehem who were waiting for the Messiah, and the announcement came right to them right through the center of Jerusalem to where they were. Angels appeared to them while they were faithfully tending to their humble work. As Jewish shepherds on the night shift, they would have been responsible for the safety of their sheep. But the fact that they were Jewish would almost have assured that somewhere... In the back of their minds, they were looking for a coming Messiah. It was part of their culture. It was part of their religion. It was part of their political system. They were waiting for one to come and deliver them. There they are out in the field. And the glory of the Lord shone all around them, right where they were. God met them, right where they were. This was not some far-off event for them. It came to where they were, this little humble town, and surrounded them with the glory of God. And not only that, at this point, they were told exactly where they needed to go to find the baby Jesus. The angel informed the shepherds that Messiah was right nearby, they were told that he was not in a place that they were forbidden to go. If Christ had been po- born in a palace somewhere, there would have been those that were in too low of a state to enter in and worship. But he wasn't born in a palace somewhere. He wasn't in a place where he wasn't accessible, even to the shepherds. Anyone sufficiently humble, had access to him. Imagine their surprise and joy to learn that they, even though they were of very humble means, not only had access to the Messiah, but they were encouraged by God to seek him out. And then there were the wise men from the east, They had a long journey to make to find Messiah. It is likely that they were from Babylon, which was about 550 miles to the east of Jerusalem. Nowadays, it's like 550 miles, that's not bad, here to Vancouver. Ten hours, or one if you fly. If they took the standard route that most people took when they were traveling from Babylon to Jerusalem. They took quite a a roundabout route. They went up to the northwest and up and around and then came down into Jerusalem from the north. So it might have been quite a bit longer journey. might have been 650 miles. But it's about 550 miles if they went in a straight line. It would have taken a month to walk or ride on a camel. In any case, it was at least 10 times farther than Joseph and Mary would have had to go to get from Nazareth to Bethlehem. It was a good, long trip. They may have learned, why do I say they might have been from Babylon? They may have learned of the king of the Jews, through the writings of Daniel. We went through Daniel a few years ago. I'm just in the process of cleaning up the, the that old, dusting off that old message of Daniel and putting it onto the podcast for people that want to listen to it there. I've had a few people say that that might be a good set. And so, you know, I've been going through Daniel again through this last little while as, as we had the play and as Steve brought a message. It gave me a couple weeks to go through these things again. So that was nice. So. That was back in 2017. I started in the middle of the summer. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 25, it mentions the coming of an anointed one. It should come up. Know, therefore, and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks. The street shall be built again, and the wall even in troublesome times. I'm thinking that these wise men had access to this writing from the book of Daniel, and they may have been looking at this, and they may have been looking at these dates and saying, let's do a little work here. It says that there's going to be 69 weeks of years from the time that the command goes out to rebuild Jerusalem until there's going to be a Messiah, a prince, a ruler again, In Israel. And so they did the math and they came up with 483 years and they started thinking it's getting close to that time. We ought to be looking to the West. It's getting close now. The book of Daniel, by the way, never mentions Bethlehem. It just talks about Jerusalem. So we wonder sometimes why is it that these wise men went to Jerusalem? Maybe they were reading Daniel chapter 9, verse 25, where it mentions that Jerusalem would be rebuilt and there would be a Messiah that would come. And so when they saw the star over in the west of them, it says seeing the star in the east because they were in the east, looking west to Jerusalem, they would have said, it, it, something's going on. There's, there's something going on. We need to head that way. Let's head to Jerusalem. Bethlehem is only mentioned as the birthplace of Messiah later on, after Daniel, in Micah chapter 5 verse 2, and these wise men wouldn't have had access to these particular scriptures from Micah, Micah chapter 5 verse 2, but you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, just pause there, there were a couple of Bethlehems in that area, and so he mentions Bethlehem Ephrathah, which we read earlier, Bethlehem, the one that's in Judea not the other one. So that, it just shows how pinpointed God was. He wasn't just any Bethlehem, it was the Bethlehem in Judea that Jesus was going to be born. Though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting." It is certainly a possibility that these wise men or the word that's used is magi and that was a term for a Persian astronomer. It's definitely a possibility that they that these men had access to Jewish literature from the time of the Jewish captivity 5 or 600 years earlier. After all, the Jews would have made every effort To bring their particularly mosaic literature with them, certainly the sacred literature with them, when Babylon came in and took them captive. And Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah were placed very highly in Babylonian culture at that time. Their writings and their reflections would have been preserved by the Chaldeans and Medo-Persians as well. Daniel had a high place with the Medo-Persian Empire as well, so they would have preserved his, his writings. We don't know all of this for sure, the Bible doesn't say, but I think it gives us some insight into the thinking of the wise men. They were aware that at some point there was going to be a ruler in Israel, and they had a pretty good idea of the date. But unlike the shepherds, the announcement of the birth of a king took diligent effort for them to discover. An unknown star appeared to them after a lifetime of seeking. We know almost nothing about this star. In the thinking of the ancient people, a star was any light in the night sky. So it could have been a star, or a planet, or a comet, or a meteor. But one thing that all of these have in common is that as the night moves on, they move in the sky. So if you ever look at a time lapse photo of, say, a, a, somebody that takes their camera and sets it up, and it takes pictures every few minutes, you'll notice that the stars make a circle route in the sky. And these men would have known that. As a matter of fact, they would have known the difference between a star, which stays relatively in a certain path, and a planet, which they called a wanderer, which moved in a different sort of way in the sky, and a comet, which moves in a different way yet. They would have known the differences of all these things, and they would have known that they all move in a circle in the sky. But there was something about this star that caught their attention. It wasn't like all of the other things. I wonder if maybe it was stationary. And they looked, and while everything else was moving, here was this star staying right in one spot. A miracle. I don't think, I I don't believe that we can go back in history and say, well, at this time there was a certain star, and this was happening, and that was happening. I think that God placed it right where he wanted it. And it caught these men's, these wise men, it caught their attention for some reason. Now, there's a whole principle in there that I could expound on. Maybe I'll do it next year. But as everything else is moving, that star remains in the same place. And that's what catches people's attention. Steadiness like truth. Everything else can move but truth stays right there and points to the Savior. That's another message for another time. But if it did stay still, it was plainly supernatural. An act of an all-powerful God, placing a sign in the sky by the might of his hand alone. For these wise men, the glory of the Lord... Didn't shine all about them, but it was a glittering diamond far to the west. But what little light they had, they acted on and pursued. What little light they had, they acted on and pursued. They didn't know exactly where to go. They knew west. They had a general direction, and they had a heart to seek truth. Say this next sentence carefully. The star did not lead the wise men. It simply shone in the sky. The wise men pursued the light. It wasn't until after they got to Jerusalem, so they had a general idea okay, let's go west. They get to Jerusalem, and they're like, well, what would be the normal place to go to look for the birth of a king? To the palace. Let's go ask Herod. Where's the king born? Herod's like, what king? I'm king. And it isn't until after they get to Jerusalem and continue to search for the newborn king that the direction of the light is made clearer to them. This is sometimes a point of confusion. I read this over and over again this week. Why is this such a point of confusion? It seems as though that the original star that they saw, they recognized it for what it was, for whatever reason. I think it was a supernatural act. God placed a light there to point them to the Messiah, to point them to the newborn Jesus. And it got them as far as Jerusalem, where they continued to seek. Let's read Matthew chapter 2, again, back to Matthew chapter 2, and verses 7 through 10. So there they are in Jerusalem. They're not quite sure exactly where to go. And so they go inquiring. They continue to search for the truth. Beginning in verse 7, then Herod when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. Now pay really close attention. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. So at some point, this star didn't lead them exactly where they needed to go. So they continued to seek and continued to seek. And as they headed again in the right direction, led on by the truth of the prophecies of the word of God, God gives them more light. And they saw the star, they recognized it and said, Aha, there it is again, let's continue to follow it. We followed it this far, let's continue to follow it. And it led them right to where the Messiah was laying. He may have been a month old by this point. It's hard to say, the timeline isn't, totally clear, but he may have been a month old, he may have been a few weeks old, we're not entirely sure, but these wise men brought gifts and worshipped the king. They brought gold, which is a fitting gift for a divine king. They bought frankincense, which is a fitting gift for a divine prophet, Frankincense, by the way, was forbidden to be used by the Jews in any incense except for the incense, sorry, except for the worship that was taking place in the temple. They brought myrrh, a fitting gift for a divine priest. Myrrh was a bitter herb, and it was used to anoint the body of the dead. So the gifts these wise men got shows that they understood to some level the importance of this king that they were coming to see. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 19 beginning in verse 38. John chapter 19 beginning in verse 38. Jesus has just been crucified. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus, who had first came to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds or 75 it's a little hard to say then they took the body of jesus and bound it in strips of linen with the spices including myrrh as the custom of the jews is to bury the fact that they brought myrrh was probably troublesome to joseph and mary but it showed that they had an understanding somehow from the Jewish literature that they had been reading, that this one, this king, was special. He wasn't just a man. He was a divine man. He was God coming down to earth. We've talked about the shepherds. We've talked about the wise men and the huge range of how God led people to Christ depending on where they were. He used all sorts of things. Those that were right there and the glory shone all around them. And those that were afar off, he gave them light as well to follow. What about you and what about me? Maybe you grew up in a Christian home and the glory of the Lord shone around you, so to speak. And when the time came to seek the Lord, he was not far from you. And you encountered him in this way. Praise the Lord for that. But maybe you didn't. Maybe your journey to the Lord was longer. Maybe you grew up in a home that didn't follow the Lord. Or that darkened the light of the Lord through some tradition. That the light had trouble penetrating through but you acted on the light you were given. You pursued the truth, and God blessed you for your faithfulness in bringing you right to the Lord. Salvation is for everyone, near or far. Christ has made himself available to all near or far. Christ has made himself available to all, high or low. Do you have influence in your society as a teacher or a lawyer or a government official of some kind? Seek the Lord. Are you someone who enjoys a simpler lifestyle? You pack a lunch and faithfully head to work each day in whatever capacity God has given you. Seek the Lord. Salvation in Jesus is for everyone, high or low. Christ has made himself available to all, rich or poor. Maybe God has blessed you financially, or maybe not. More importantly, have you been blessed with a faith that comes easily? A faith that is strong and does not easily waver? Or maybe you're more like me, and doubts arise from time to time. Maybe holding on to your faith is a real struggle at times. Salvation in Jesus is for everyone, rich or poor. Maybe you have not yet found the Savior. The creator of the universe took on a human body in the form of a baby 2,000 years ago, because he loves you. He died for you. Seek him and find him today. Near or far, high or low, rich or poor. Let's pray.